You're listening to The Life of a Cheerleading Coach. I'm your host, Marley Sievers, with five years of high school coaching experience, seven years of experience as a choreographer and head instructor for the National Cheerleaders Association, and over a decade in the cheerleading industry. Join me as we navigate through the world of high school coaching together. Here we go. This episode is brought to you by the Cheer Coach Planner. Are you ready to replace your bulky coach binder? If so, then you should check out the Cheer Coach Planner. Designed specifically for cheerleading coaches, the Cheer Coach Planner helps you to simplify the administrative side of coaching through the use of planning and organization. Inside, you'll find over 250 pages, including 12 undated monthly calendars, daily life and practice planners, a team section full of forms to help you keep track of everything specific to your team, like rosters, absences, and athlete profiles, and a season section full of forms to help you keep track of everything related to your season, like tryouts, fundraising, game days, pep rallies, and competitions. With a physical planner, digital planner options, and new planners for your captains, you're bound to find an option that works for you. Check them out at cheercoachplanner.com or visit the link in my show notes. Now you can use code MARLEY10 at checkout for 10% off your order. That's M-A-R-L-E-Y-1-0 for 10% off. The Cheer Coach Planner, your season, your plan. All right, I'm here with Coach Katherine Dittrich, who is an early childhood educator and the head junior varsity coach at Milford High School. Tell the listeners more about your experience with cheerleading and coaching. So I started, I coach at my high school that I went to. So I started in our youth program and then eventually moved up to our middle school when we started that. So we were kind of in the transition of creating a middle school program, which is huge here in Michigan. Um, Not a lot of schools have them, but they're becoming more common, which is super neat. And then one year we actually had so many girls that we had created a freshman team. And then now I'm the JV coach because our fantastic prior JV coach had left. She had a kid and now we're here. So it's really been an exciting growth process for sure. And my family is really like super involved. So like I said, I coached and I cheered for the same school. My middle sister also cheered for Milford. And then now my youngest sister is a junior. So we're almost there. We're almost at the end, which is so crazy to think about. About 10 years in the same program. So it's been really neat to grow through. Yeah. It's so cool that your whole family's been involved. Yeah. Yep. It's, and it's really been interesting to watch how much everything has grown just from the beginning. And Milford really is the underdogs. And it's been really nice to see so many people in support of seeing new teams on top because, you know, it's all about the competition and seeing that growth. So it's been really, really cool. That is super cool. Yeah. What do you feel are the key skills to have when you're working as a coach? Definitely management. And I'm not talking about having team captains. It's really about, do you have a practice plan? What are your goals for the season? What are your expectations of the athletes? And really setting those standards day one, tryout, before tryouts, really, especially if they're coming from your youth or middle school programs, having those standards set when they're young makes it so much easier on you as a high school coach, but also allows you more time to focus on what you're there to work on and not teaching how an athlete how to be an athlete, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so absolutely. I know we've all been through that process. So 
But even then, we've had some really great athletes that have known nothing about cheer and end up being the most valuable people on the team. So lots lots of management right from the get-go is really important having a successful season and team. Yeah, I agree. What is your favorite thing about coaching and what got you involved in it? My favorite thing about coaching is, and I can definitely say more of this now, is seeing how far that the girls have come. There's always that transition really because they're they're little kids, they're in their rec program, they go to middle school, and then there's those younger ages of high school. And then when they hit their junior year, you see so much maturity, so much growth as an athlete. And it's really, Milford is a really tight-knit community. So being able to watch some of these girls grow from when they were like little kids on our instructional, which is like a kindergarten, first grade team up until high school athletes and truly seeing not just how they've progressed as an athlete and as a cheerleader, but how they've progressed as people and kind of growing with them along with it, being a young coach. So that that's by far my my favorite part. Yeah, I agree. I feel like watching them grow into great little adults, great little human, yeah. <laughs> their character building is like my favorite. Definitely around that junior year age. Oh, it's it's like it's um it's heartwarming for oh. sure. What is the best experience that you've had as a coach? My best experience that I've had as a coach, I I do have like very specific moments and 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 I really like to their core memories, I'd like to say. <laughs> they there's been several times where girls have been working on skills just for the longest time and it never it was never working for them. And I remember one time there's a girl, she was working on her back walkover for the longest time. And we all know back walkovers. There's level five all-star athletes that can't do back walkovers anymore, but they have a full. And they're hard. They're It requires a lot of your body to be that flexible, much more than a spring. And the day that she got that, she charged towards me and like jumped into my arms. And I can definitely say that was one of my most favorable moment, moments, but also just getting texts from the girls with their small successes. I got one from a girl the other day on our varsity team. She was so excited that she hit around three for the first time because she got put in when another girl got injured. And I was just so proud of her. Those small moments where they feel comfortable enough and close enough to tell you those things are definitely memorable core memories for me. Yeah. That's so sweet sharing their little victories with you throughout the year. Yeah. <laughs> What has been your most challenging experience as a coach? I, My most challenging experience as a coach, I would say I started with my high school team in 2020. And we all know what happened then. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was really being a young coach and growing as an adult myself. It was definitely challenging. I mean, you're trying to manage all of these new things in life. The world was changing. I'm managing lots of lots of communication we all know as coaches there's so much behind the scenes sleepless nights when you're worried about someone else's children yeah because uh, you care about them so much that that was definitely the biggest struggle and I'm really proud that I've really even come as far as I have personally emotionally with with managing everything as a coach and as a young coach let alone so definitely that's been a big challenge but I really think I've gotten a grasp on it and I can do what's best for me and for the athletes because that's important. Yeah. I can kind of relate to that. Like I started coaching right out of high school, very yeah. like, very young. And 
it is, it's hard to navigate, especially when you've got girls that are kind of relatively close to your age and just trying to set boundaries. So yeah, that was that setting boundaries is a, is a big one. I I'm finally like not in that, like these girls are, weren't even in high school close to when I was in high school. So it, it, we've gotten past that part, but that first part, especially when I was in the middle school area mm-hmm. was really difficult and things have changed so much compared to what most of us coaches have experienced in high school mm-hmm. just within the last few years. So that's also been another tough challenge is navigating that things are not the same. No, and, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're way different. I feel like the way level <laughs> is like way surpassed where I was. Right. And in, in really understanding their social emotional needs, oh, yeah. that's a big challenge as a coach. And you have to be ready for that, especially if you're going to be moving on to possibly coaching at a high school level. If you are with like a rec or a middle school team, you have to be ready for those physically, emotionally, all of it. All of it. Yeah. So package deal. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What makes a season successful? I say that a season is successful when a girl or a team is able to genuinely accomplish the goals that they set and be happy about them. Having those tangible goals really I mean, write them down. I, me personally and our varsity team, we write them down on those big sticky note papers and put them on our rolly mirrors, which honestly, we use the back of the mirror more than the front of the mirror at this point. <laughs> and writing down all of our goals. So team goals, stunt group goals, and personal goals. And some of that isn't just tumbling or stunting. Some of it is you know, I want to become stronger. I want to manage my schoolwork and manage being on a team. And I really want to become closer to my team and work hard together and become extremely passionate together. So those are all kind of a glimpse at the type of goals that the girls, you know, want to accomplish in the beginning and having those within sight all season really makes the transition to the end of the season. And we have those conversations. Did we meet the goals that we set? And it's kind of a bittersweet moment when we all talk at the end of the season and the girls without me prompting them, they, they become really proud. And I can probably list off a few times that they really had these conversations without me, like scaffolding the situation and giving them that guidance. They've really just grasped that goal setting mindset. And it's been really nice to see, especially with those younger athletes when they're in like freshman, sophomore year, it's been really cool. Yeah. I love the idea of putting them on the back of your mirrors too. That way you can see them every day. Like that's something I've, I've had no idea where to put them. So I love that idea. But yeah, we have, we have like a, we didn't used to have this. We turned like larger closet in our gym into a cheer office we have a couch and a desk and (laughs) I know it's been really cool we did not have that before and there's photos everywhere and there's that's where we store our mats too Uh and having that community space too has been really really good but we have these rolling mirrors that come out and you can just use the back and put them on there we don't have a cheer room like some schools in our area but we we do have a little getaway spot too Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I'll set up with the couch and yep. just go and hide sometimes. <laughs> I can tell you where it came from. But it's- <laughs> How do you motivate your athletes? I know you talked about goals a little bit, but are there other ways in which you motivate your girls? Yeah, actually, I, I talk a lot about reflecting on 
who they used to be when they were little, looking up to high school athletes and think you used to be that little girl that stands at the gate and watches all the cheers and mirrors them from the stands. And I really think that that kind of touching into that emotional part there helps them almost do it on their own without, I guess, me forcing motivation. Mm -hmm. And then of course the goal setting and you have to be all in as a coach. You can't be sitting on the ground, sitting at a table, doing other things during practice. You have to be, if you want more, if you want them to give more energy, you have to be screaming and yelling with them and be just as passionate. You cannot expect the girls to be out there and giving 110% without you giving 150. There is no way that's going to happen. So you as a coach have to be just as passionate and motivated as the athletes. But of course, you don't want to be more motivated than the athletes. There's almost a different kind of motivation as a coach and as an athlete. And that's something that you really come in touch with after you've gone through some seasons as a coach and gotten to experience that. Yeah, I I love that. I absolutely agree. You wrote on here, Papa Squats. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, (laughs) Papa Squats. I also have another coach. I think she called them powwows. Uh Yes, she called them powwows. So just give them that space to communicate. And I always say pop a squat, like pop a squat. Sit on the ground, let's talk. Because if you think about it, they're at school all day. They're sitting in their desks. They're listening to, I don't know, an anatomy lecture. They just want to talk to their friends. If you're not giving them that space to get their energy out and talk to friends and whatever else before practice, then that's going to take up your entire practice. Is there going to be talking during stunts when they're supposed to be doing a full out? If they're, if it's during sideline season and they're supposed to be running a pyramid or something for quarter time, they're just going to be chatting and talking. And if you're not giving them that space to openly communicate, then it's not going to work. Your practice is not going to go as well as you hope for it to. And It's also good for you as a coach. I mean, it lets the girls open up and develop a relationship with you before you get into just being a coach, because we all know that a coach is never just a coach and you're a teacher, you're an older sister, you're a mom, you're a manager, you're a bookkeeper, you're everything. And coaches really do get a special, I would say difference between being a teacher and a coach is you really get to know an athlete on another level. You get to know a student on another level. And they're ultimately there if you're in high school athletics, it's for you're there for academic athletics. It's all a part of the learning process. And if you're not giving them that space to communicate and get to know you too, then then that's that's kind of what I do with those Papa squats. I like that. Like I mean my girls do chat throughout practice and that's probably a good idea to just give them a dedicated time for that. Yeah, just like not not too much, not like half an hour, like 15 minutes max. And they kind of just get it out and then they are ready for those, you know, constant reps. <laughs> what do you feel is the best piece of advice that you've been given? I have many, I would say. As a coach, I would say that you always have to remember there is something else going on in their life outside of what's going on in the gym and what you've heard from others. You have to remember that they're going home and there might be a situation there, you know, there might be a friendship that's not working out. You always have to almost take a look at or step into their shoes for a moment. And even like I said, high school has changed so much 
we can almost relate, like go back into our inner child and relate to them just for a moment and think, you know, this might be overwhelming. They don't have an adult mindset yet and we can't expect them to. They're in high school. So really taking that, just take a step back. Yes, it matters if you hit. Yes, it matters if a stunt is perfect. I mean, that's what we want, right? But we have to remember that there's stuff going on outside of school and outside of cheer, ultimately, hands down. That's number one advice that I've been given. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. I mean, they're people first. You got to relate to them. Right, right. More emotional level. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give someone who's just starting their coaching career? I guess I sort of touched on this earlier is have that management background, that process, have your goals as a coach in sight before the season begins. Don't just show up at tryouts day one and expect it all to happen. And you have to keep growth in mind. They're going to be different in like our sideline tryouts start in like end of May, early June. They're going to be different in October. They're going to be different when competitive season over in March. Like they're going to be different people, different talent aspects. Even they might have new skills. They might get injured. You have to keep those things in mind, especially at a time. Always have good communication with parents. Communication is key. What we do as a program and what I would like to say is we have a phenomenal program that really works hard together. Our head varsity coach is Patty Warzeka, and then we have Sam and Bree, who are our assistant coaches, and they bring so much value to the team, whether it's like Sam's stunt experience and Bree really breaks down the details. So you have to build a team that works together as a coaching staff, as well as a team on the mat. So it really is all part of, you know, you have to think about those things if you're becoming a new coach, like, do I fit into this? staff and is it what I have in sight for what I would like to do because a lot of coaching positions are volunteer so if you're going to spend your hard work in there you really got to look at that kind of concept when you're interviewing for new schools or stepping into a position whether it's like rec or all-star really anywhere Mm -hmm. you know you're a team first too what lessons do you hope that your former athletes receive during their time in your program I hope that they leave the program as humble, kind human beings that go out there in the world and they're not afraid to, you know, be who they are and kind of, I like to say grit a lot, just have a little bit of oomph to them, you know, be able to, whether it's lead or let's say go out there and be a presentable, humble person, because that's what we're ultimately here to do. We're here to teach them good qualities outside of just being a cheerleader because eventually cheer does end and you really want them to take that work ethic with them and pursue it into whether it's their job or college or wherever they go they might go to trade school for all we know and take that worth ethic that time management all of it with them and of course know where it came from know how valuable it is that you're part of a team now i love that Calling all cheer coaches, podcast fans, and supporters. This podcast has merch. You heard that right. Don't know what to get your assistant as a gift for this season? Well, grab a cheer coach beanie. 
Want to stay cozy at practice? Rep the Cheer Coach sweatshirt. Not only do I sell merch on my website, I also have some awesome coaching resources for sale on there as well. Some of these items include jump drills, motion drills, tryout score sheets, and stunt progressions lists. Head over to marleysievers.com slash shop. That's M-A-R-L-E-Y-S-I-E-V-E-R-S dot com slash S-H-O-P or head over to the link in my show notes. What has been your greatest achievement either as an athlete or as a coach? I would say as a coach, definitely making it all happen. (laughs) So I know a lot of schools don't have a like a consistent JV team or sub varsity team at all. So it's been really heartwarming to know that we continue this on, that there's so many girls coming up. They want to be Mavericks. We are the Milford Mavericks. They want to be Mavs. They, it's so insightful to like, look at the little ones, whether in eighth grade, first grade, and they are just so desirable to be a part of the program and be just like those big girls. So mm-hmm. it's been really rewarding to be a part of that whole process and really just still be able to be here and stick around in a new position, not as an athlete. So I kind of know what cheerleading in Michigan is like. I mean, I just love watching how clean the technique is. Like I'll watch videos on Instagram and just be like amazed. Tell me a little bit more about it, I guess. And I, why is the style like so different? Why is it different in Michigan, I guess? <laughs> so first of all, I know it's so different. It, it scares <laughs> people down South, like genuinely. It, sometimes it scares people. Our varsity team went to UCA camp for the first time. Typically we go to like champion, which is like our NCA, but in Michigan. And some of the teams were like, oh my goodness, they're like robots. And (laughs) it's because that's what's required of us to be successful in this state and how it's developed. So MHSAA is Michigan High School Athletic Association. And we have three rounds. Round one is really about creativity in those two jumps. Round ones can be just so exhilarating. Uh, We were at a competition last week And one team was doing their round one and it just zoned everyone into it. It's, it was so, I I guess, enchanting to watch. It was so neat. And then Mm -hmm. round two, the first 10 counts. So the first 10 movements, the entire state does the same thing. Whether you're a D1 school or a D4 school, you all do the same thing. And in round two, there's five skills. So the highest tumbling skill is a back tuck and of course, that's going to be more than a back walkover, or if you do a jump, that's a 1.0 skill, but you do five skills and you take the difficulty multiplier. So let's say it's 1.2 times whatever your rating was on a scale of one to 10. Like you, let's say you got seven. So you do seven times 1.2 for that one skill, and then you add it all up. And then the three judges sheets get added together for your round two score. So it's really, really picky. In round two, everyone has to be doing the same thing at the same time. There's no levels or anything like that. That's all dedicated to round one. Round Mm -hmm. three is considered a open round and that's all tumbling, stunting, really whatever your, I would say whatever your team wants to showcase that is legal. Like you can't do double downs. We can only do single twist cradles. And of course, like a regular cradle and you can do toe touch baskets. You can have fulls and all that sort of thing. And that really like racks your score up. And it's really interesting to watch how one stunt falling 
or one girl not landing her talk in the team tumbling can be detrimental to if you move on or not. So actually mm-hmm. today it's our districts in top four from districts go to regionals and then from mm-hmm. regionals you go to states. So it truly is a very picky, tight knit type of cheerleading. And it makes it makes for an interesting ride. I can say that. Yeah, there's no music, right? You like cheer nope. the whole time. Nope, literally cheering the entire time. And I do have to say that I so my dad's family is from Canada. And up there mm-hmm. you might know the I think they're the Great White Sharks. They oh, yeah. based out of Hamilton. Yeah. They turns out my cousin knows someone on that team and he was trying to sort of break down the difference. And I was like, there's so many differences. It's you're not gonna be able to compare it. He described <laughs> Michigan cheerleading as patriotic cheerleading. And I thought oh. that was the best way to explain it. No wonder I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, it's patriotic cheerleading. So you're not That's yelling, all- you know, USA or anything, but you're yelling for your school. You're saying very powerful words. And that really does make or break around too, is how do you perceive yourself? It's really interesting. Definitely, if you're listening, take a look at, I, there's an Instagram account called Michigan Competitive Cheerling, MI Comp Cheer. Okay. You can see everything on there. Super interesting. Just go follow them real quick. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, my other question was, how long are the rounds? Are they like the same time frame each round or is it? So round three would be like 2.30 max. Each round is honestly different. Round three is definitely the longest. You try not to make it the longest because there is a minute and a max. So if you do, there's a heavy penalty. There's penalties for running off the mat the wrong way. If you run oh, off the corner of the mat and not the side, yeah, it's picky. It's very yeah, picky. It's very interesting to follow. I feel like that's that's why it's so special, though. It's because it's it's different. It's beautiful. That it's very clean technique, and it's just yeah, so fun. It's to extremely watch. unique. I don't. No one else really does it like Michigan does. Right. Super yeah. Special. Yeah. How would you describe your team culture? So we have been in the last couple of years definitely been working on. Are you passionate? Are you just here for the uniform or are you passionate? And luckily this last season, our varsity team really has in the last couple of years, truly made some heavy strides to making a name of themselves. So I would definitely say motivated, passionate. They've truly become a family. And at Milford, we really focus ourselves on at all sporting events in all levels, being a family, being a kind community, good sportsmanship all around in every sport. And I can guarantee that that is a focus at every sporting event and every coach that coaches at our, at our school. I don't know how I was blessed this last sideline season, but I can tell you we had zero drama. And with high schoolers, you know, that is that's kind of crazy. Yeah. (laughs) They were all just so happy to be there. And wow, that was really nice. I just have to say that it was really nice to experience that. And I really hope that, you know, going forward, we can remain to be like that. What are some of your favorite ways to help build relationships with your athletes or the other people in your program? Going back to the Papa squat thing that I should probably trademark now is (laughs) (laughs) giving them that space. I mean, seriously, if you're not going to know them outside of cheer, then you're not going to be able to build those relationships. If you don't know that an athlete 
plays travel softball or if you don't know that this girl just got a new job at the restaurant down the street and you're not asking how it's going or if you're not like oh I'm gonna stop by then you're not gonna build those relationships and I think that you know in a professional manner obviously not having those relationships with them I I think that makes a significant difference in your team culture and it's in Milford it's it's very easy to know the girls before they become your athletes say we're I would say a small town we're not a cornfield but we're a small town and you know you run into them out and about and I think that's one of the highlights of coaching too is just getting to be a part of the community and I'm really grateful for that that culture that we have at Milford. Why is it valuable to develop a strong sub varsity program? And how do you feel like you've contributed to your program's overall growth? Without a sub varsity, without a middle school, without a rec team, there wouldn't be a varsity. I would say, especially in our area, if you come in as an athlete with no cheer experience, it's you're going to need to get those basic traditional skills at a sub varsity level. And in those developing years, I really try to hand off that information down to the younger, younger grades and coaches, because if they don't have a proper, say, sponge, if they don't have a pretty QP extension, if they don't know about like body awareness and jumps, and if they don't have the correct counts because as we said Michigan competitive cheer is so detail oriented if you don't have all of that set as a standard with your younger athletes then you're not going to have a champion program when they get to varsity you really have to it's like a push down effect you really have to start when they're young and build 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 when they get to the top how do you instill a growth mindset in a youth level program in order to build the future generations With the younger athletes, you have to teach them to believe in themselves because if they don't believe in themselves, they're going to be down. They're not going to attempt a skill more than once. We all know that cheerleading is a super demanding sport, especially with doing things like back tucks and throwing people in the air for heaven's sake. I mean, you really have to believe in yourself. So if you're not teaching a growth mindset at a younger age, then that's not going to push when they're older. I study early childhood education. So, and that actually goes up until age eight, fun fact. If they're not developing that that skill at age eight, you know, learning to, it's okay to mess up. It's okay to not be able to do something right away. And that's going to carry into their young adulthood too. It's okay if you don't land a back handspring the first time that you do it. We just have to keep working. And if they see that growth mindset in action, especially with those older girls, if they, if the older girls share their story with the younger girls, then you're more likely to have a progressive and more advanced varsity team when you start with that young age. And that's been happening for a few, like a good, I guess, 10 years with our, with our rec program. So it's been really great to see that all grow. I would love like a strong feeder program into ours. So it's just inspiring. Yeah. So you would agree that it really, like you have to make that requirement at a young age up until right. they're in that varsity. Yeah. How do you feel like you've made a difference in the lives of your athletes or have positively impacted them? Touching on the positive part. I, I would say since I started coaching, I remember being in a in a coaching interview when because I used to coach at a gymnastics facility too. I remember saying that with every negative comment, you have to have a positive comment. 
And mm-hmm. especially with how mental health is today, especially with these younger ones, it can be challenging for them. So you have to almost teach that and be a role model for that as well. And every athlete or truly any of the students aren't going to just assume that you're there for them. You have to make it known that you are there for them and you will do anything to help them. Whether it's sending a, I hope you have a better day today text or, you know, they need a hug or I I mean, we've had some pretty rough things happen, sad things. I would say with different families or even in our school that we really all rally around and try to help that student or that family. So if you really keep that energy, that mindset going and really let it be known to your athletes that you're there for them, then that's Mm -hmm. going to create that positive relationship along with keeping them motivated as an athlete too. Yeah. I like that idea of with every negative, there has to be a positive. Like I try to Mm -hmm. end every conversation with my athletes is like a, with a, thank you for your hard work today. You're, you know, just kind of ending it on a, here's why I appreciate you kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Like that stunt was really, that stunt was really good, but the the heel stretch wasn't it. Let's try to go back and do that again. The, mm-hmm. You know, that was powerful. That was great, but we need to fix this. So they mm-hmm. have that, they can kind of feed off that positivity, but also be like, okay, this is our next challenge. We need to fix this. Right. My final question for you is what is your why? Why do you do what you do? <laughs> so I want to see them succeed and I want to see them continue this legacy that, you know, we've been stating, we've been creating for so long and really see it flourish. I I would say that's my why, but I also think that I have this internal like motherly love for them that I want to be there to support them and make it happen in the mm-hmm. end. It I that really does kind of sum up the culture that we have in our program. And I can confidently say that about the rest of our coaches, that that is why we are there. That is our why. I love that so much. Where can people connect with you? Like if they want to follow you on Instagram or. So our varsity Instagram is Milford Mavs cheer. M-I-L-F-O-R-D-M-A-V-S. Mavs is short for Mavericks. At Milford Mavs JV cheer. And my personal Instagram is C-A-T-H-D-I-T-T-R. And then I'm sure BK, our tumbling coach, would be okay with this. You can follow his page at Detroit Tumble. And you can see lots oh. of highlights. And then also that Michigan Competitive Cheer Instagram that I suggested for those of you that really want to know more about it. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Life of a Cheerleading Coach. Visit the link in the show notes to sign up for my newsletter, get access to our coaching community, The Cheer Closet, and links to resources that you can use for your team this season. Don't forget to follow the life of a cheerleading coach on Instagram and Facebook, and be sure to click the listener support button on my anchor page. Love the show? Go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To be featured in the next episode, use the link in my show notes to leave me a voice message. Thanks again for listening, and go make a difference.